<coughs> Just wrong, that other way, no, I got you trusting Mr. Kiss and we're packing up our own caves. I think what I was worth talking about, you were talking about the hotspot that's about taking a thesis date. No, I was saying, I just want to get to know a few people over the summer, if you're saying. So, um, if I just switched off here, I'll get more. Um, Tristan, do you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself and your family? And no. Where you grew up? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm Tristan. I'm um, married to Esther, as many of you will know. We have three children um, Jonah, who's nine. Isabella, who's six, and Rose, who's three today. So if you see Rose running around with a big mop of her, say happy birthday to her. <coughs> um, so we've been coming to Emmanuel since 2008 in Lurgan, and then we came over to Portadown. Um, what are you going to ask me again? What else? What's this say? Uh, so your family, where you grew up. Where I grew up. Would well, you know you knew where I grew up? I no, I didn't. Mull ahead. ahead. It's countryside. That's okay. So I grew up um, out in Mull ahead, quite close to Stephen's family farm. I grew up on a on a dairy farm as well, uh, and we live there now. Um, um, I was the youngest of four brothers, and we grew up there. Dad was a farmer. He was also a um, local preacher in the Methodist Church. So I grew up within the Methodist Church in Tandragee, which was a great foundation. Um, very family oriented church, and it was a great start for sort of my life and my Christian walk in Tandragee and at work. I'm a psychiatric nurse. Is that okay? Yeah. Thanks. No, um, <laughs> you had a few, you had a few different jobs over the years. Can you mm -hmm. tell us what what led you into the area of mental health, or what prompted you to pursue mm -hmm. a career in that? Um, it was probably a slow process. Um. I went back to school in the 30s, so I left school with basically no qualifications, and that um, that was probably a big thing for me. It was quite a, a narrative that I believed that I was sort of failed at school, and I felt that that kind of maybe held me back in my sort of career wise. And I fell into a job. I worked in um, where did I work? Come on, Stephen. I used to sell car parts basically um, for different. Um, Car parts places. <laughs> um, and that was a job I stayed in for about 13 years. And slowly, I suppose, God was working in my life and through those years. And I think the people that he put in front of me really shaped why I started working in mental health. And probably the main reasons for that is I wasn't walking um, the Christian life back then. I was in early 20s. I was living in Belfast. Um, I was living with a group of, of my friends. There were six of us in a house. Um, and it was total carnage. It was great crack as well. Um, there was a lot of alcohol. There was drugs about the house too. And a few of the guys just <laughs> ended up being admitted into a psychiatric ward. Which... <laughs> Isn't the usual things that happens in, in houses in Belfast, I don't think, but it happened in our house. And it was my sort of introduction to how people live with mental health difficulties. And it was a big eye-opener actually living with somebody with a severe mental health difficulty um, where they believed things weren't true. They saw things that weren't in front of them. And it was frightening. It was frightening for me. I used to go to bed locking my door at nights. Um, thinking back now, that guy... He's a great guy. He's um, he's um, what is he? 
he's an accountant. He's done really well for himself. Um, but had a really sort of breakdown. He had a, he got to a limit where stress overtook him. And that was my introduction really into mental health and sort of my interest in it was just really through friends and a few family members as well. So that was the reason um, slowly pushed into thinking about doing something different. Took me a good while. <laughs> Took me into my 30s to realize this job isn't really for me. So uh, I felt like God was really working within me to do something. So I had to go and start again at school. So right back to the drawing board um, of GCSEs, A-levels, and then into degree. So that was that started sort of... It first started off with a, a counselling course um, back in 2010, um, which led into an access course, which led into a degree. So it was sort of four and a half years of study. Four, four of those years was... I just dropped, uh, came away from work and, and studied. So very difficult time with, with young children, um, but I have to give Esther a lot of credit. But I have to give God all the credit um, because if it wasn't for him, I couldn't have done it, basically. So there you go. What's next? Okay, going ahead. I know Tristan was part of our cell group back then. And you know, it's just nice to sort of pray through that with Tristan mm. and see the challenges of, of that going forward, you know, so it was a big, big step at the time. But, you know, having spoken to you different times about your work, it's obviously a very challenging <coughs> environment that you're in. How do you carry your faith into those situations and those difficult situations in, in your everyday work? Mm. Uh, well, you can't walk around with a big cross on your back, you know, but really, I suppose we as Christians need to as well. We need to carry um, Christ with us in all that we do. It is difficult because there's such a... You know, in mental health, you come across people who are Christians and who are not Christians, you know, the people that you work with. Um, so people, there's many Christians that have mental health difficulties as well. I feel that there's a huge disconnect from God uh, was the main reason. And there's reasons why, why there's the disconnect. There's upbringing, trauma... Lots of different things that that gets in the in the way of how we connect with God, and I think that's really difficult when people don't recognise that it's the disconnect that have people in sort of tor- turmoil. You know, they're living in, a, in an earthly existence, and they believe the earthly things that are going on, and don't recognise how God can work and and change people's lives and, and move. And um, that's the, be- the the most difficult thing that that lack of recognition and that there's a, a massive grip over people who have mental health difficulties. Um, and the, the hardest thing for me is <clears throat> when it's when somebody's life ends um, and they haven't given their lives to God. And that's, I suppose, when you look at how the enemy works, that's how they work. They, they want that grip. They want that disconnect. And I suppose for me, it's, it's trying to see how in some way with not disrespecting the NHS, how I can try and see that connect with people. And I think God has really worked with me in that. In that, <clears throat> I felt over the last year, I've probably really understood how if, I've understood sort of how God. I, I think I've understood how God views me, and that was a massive thing. I think He's also blessed me to see how God looks at other people. So I have a real hope for people. But I suppose it's like that for me, from when I was sort of a younger man, I believed that narrative that it wasn't good enough, I failed at school. That flows through all of us in some way. 
And I suppose it's about recognizing that and how you can pray into that, how can you, you can change that. And if there's anyone here who feels that they're disconnected, please come for prayer because it starts with prayer. You know, um, I went off on a tangent there, did I? That's all right, you're ready to do that. Thanks, Stephen. Um, but just when you mentioned prayer, what, what would be the best way that we could pray for you? Um, <clears throat> I, suppose, for, I suppose personally it's just that I don't lose my spark for, for my job. Um, that I'll, I'll remain sort of focused and sort of always hopeful. I suppose I am an optimistic person and that sort of annoys people at times. Which is okay. Does it annoy you, does it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I, I suppose that my biggest biggest prayer is that there's just a move of God within mental health. I would just love that um, the, the doors would be blown off Bluestone and there would be a, a movement of God through through the building and through the people who, in the towns around this land. Um, uh, it's a big prayer. <laughs> but I suppose for me, it's just to keep that strength and that spark going. But yeah, I would love just that there'd be some shift in the atmosphere around Bluestone, around um, how people view mental health. It is a challenge, but it's also a great place to work to. Strongholds, Lord, to set them free from the torment and the anguish that they're in, Lord. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will flow through this whole um, mental health um, area, Father, and, and all the hospitals, Father, and in society, Lord, where people are, are tortured and, and depressed and filled with anxiety, Father, that you will come to set the captives free. Father, just empower Tristan as he goes into his work on a daily basis, Lord, that he is carrying the hope of Jesus Christ into lives who, are, who are, feel hopeless and... Um, have have just no see no future father just pray that you'll um just use them in that area father to win people for you in your name amen thanks Tristan. thanks Stephen. stay here we say i'd love us just um before we move on from this could we, could we stand our feet together i just feel like the lord's maybe on this at the moment this is such a massive issue in our church uh, tristan um it's it's wonderful to hear Tristan's story. Of uh, you know, every time he, he shares it, I get a wee bit emotional for a number of reasons. First of all, because you know people say that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Not that uh, Tristan's old, but that's rubbish. You can, you, you can, you can go back to school. You can learn. You can relearn things. You can do stuff with your life right, right through until the day that you die. And uh, I love the perseverance and the desire to go and do something with your life and to overcome all the desire, all the desires of the enemy to take out all the lies that he would speak that you are a failure, that you just are punching in time, all that kind of nonsense. That you know, with the best will in the world, and um, you're, you know, you're. Without being too crude, you're kind of giving two fingers back to those to, to, to those kind of lies, and you're saying, I'm going to do something with my life to serve Jesus and to make his kingdom known. And I, So I love that part of Tristan's story, and I think there's something on that for, for all of us to be inspired by. And also just uh, the particular area that he's working in, you know, it's such an area in our, um, in our city that we want to see change and transformation. And we've also got a number of um, GPs and psychologists and this church who I know are very passionate about that, nurses, social workers, you know, and so we're really, really wanting to see God do something. And uh, and uh, Stephen, I think, is absolutely right just to, 
just to um, notice that and pray for that tonight. But I just feel like there's a little bit more yeah, for us to do this morning before we move on. So I'm going to ask us to get a little bit um, passionate about this now. Is that all right? I want us to lift up our voices in prayer. I want us to declare the name of Jesus and his lordship and all the power that comes when we call in his name for a breakthrough in our area, for a shift in the atmosphere, um, for God to do something. I know there's all sorts of different um, nuances and intelligent conversations that need to happen around mental health, so uh, I appreciate all of that. But as the people of God, we can pray, and stuff happens when we do. So uh, I'm going I'm to count to three. And then I want us to lift our voices because for some reason that just helps you get started, right? Uh, after you say a three. And, uh, and I want us, and if you've never done this before, if you're a visitor with us, I hope you don't mind us doing this. If you, all that you're saying, if you've never done this before, it's just the name of Jesus on your lips and please heal and please restore. Do that. But let's just declare, speak out. Declare God's name, the strength that's in his name. Pray for those who work with um, these people. Pray for people themselves to be released. Okay? Let's, um, let's, let's not just talk about it. Let's do it together, all right? So after three, let's lift our voices and let's, uh, and let's pray together. One, two, three. Lord Jesus, we come to you today, God, and we call upon your name, Father God, for a breakthrough in the spirit, oh God, for people, oh God, in our town and in our city at the minute who are tormented, oh God, Lord, just um, um, the torments of the enemy. God, we want to pray, Lord, that your kingdom will come. We want to pray that your will will be done. We want to pray that the power and the demonstration of your kingdom will come. Father, we pray that, Lord, your name, Lord Jesus, would be lifted up. Lord, we speak it over Bluestone. We speak it over the health system. We speak it over people's lives. And God, we ask, oh God, that in your name we ask for victory. We ask, oh God, that there would be a, 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 a Lord, a breaking through, God, we pray for breakthrough in research, we pray for breakthrough in medicine, we pray for breakthrough in all of those ways, but God, we pray for the demonstration of your kingdom to come in the name of Jesus, that we might see people set free to live the life of God that you um, want for them, God, we pray that people will be clothed and set up and in their right minds, we pray in the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, we ask that there would be breakthrough, God. We ask, oh God, for those at the moment who think that life's not worth living, that you would rescue them, God, that you would deliver them. Come, Lord Jesus. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you that your word declares that you forgive all our sins and you heal our diseases, oh God. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and for the victory of the cross. Thank you that it vanquished sin and death and hell. Thank you that it utterly defeated and conquered the, 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 the hordes of the hell and everything that was meant for evil. God, you are turning around for good. And so, Lord, we just declare your victory in this place, oh God. And we declare your victory over our city, God. We declare your victory over our hospitals, oh God, and over the different um, institutions, oh God. Lord, we declare your name, Jesus, and we declare the victory that comes in your name. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just do a great work, Lord. And Lord, we pray for those in our own fellowship, God, who have a passion and a desire to help those within, Lord, this, um, this uh, in this terrible place of hopelessness. And God, we pray that your kingdom would break in in power for your glory and your renown, we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray strength into their beings. We pray in insight, Lord. We pray wisdom. We pray against compassion, fatigue, oh God. But Lord, we pray that you'd help them to overflow with the compassion of Jesus. God, do what only you can do in the name of Jesus. 
And Father God, I just pray uh, even right now in this uh, in this environment this morning for anyone who oh God is just um, struggling in that way. We ask of oh God right now that your power and your presence of oh God would just come into this room in a special way, and that you, Lord who were able to deliver God people so that they would be seated and in their right mind. We pray for that today in the name of Jesus, oh God, for the peace and the shalom and the calm of the Holy Spirit, the shalom of your presence that have come into this room right now. Settle every thought. We come against every assignment of darkness in Jesus' name. We pray that you would heal every chemical imbalance right now in the name of Jesus. We pray that the oil, the oil of the anointing of God, Lord, would just work through every cog, every neural pathway, every thought process in the name of Jesus. I bind the work of irrational thinking that comes from darkness in the name of Jesus. I bind, O oh God, the work of tormenting thoughts in the name of Jesus. God, I bind every fiery dart of the enemy in Jesus' name. We declare the blood of Jesus that we've remembered this morning. Declare the blood of Jesus over this family. Declare the blood of Jesus, every family represented, every son and daughter, every mother and father. Declare the blood of Jesus, God, and the victory that's in your name, Jesus. We declare your blood, Jesus. We pray a hedge of protection, O oh God, around every mind, around every heart, around every family in Jesus' name. Let your peace come now. Come now. Just receive the peace of the Lord. Receive his victory. Just let it rest on you. Just let it rest on you now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just receive. That's the Lord. This is the Lord. Just receive from the Lord. You're good, Jesus. You're good. You're a good God. You're a good Father. You're a good Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Just acknowledge, Jesus, only your presence, only your presence can untangle, can untangle our minds, our thought processes. Only your presence, God. Only your presence, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tristan. And take, take your seats for a moment. We'd love to pray with anybody who would like us to pray more in that regard at the end this, this morning. So um, please, please avail of that. Please know we'd love to pray for you. Um, I'm going to... Uh, Try my best to um, keep this relatively short and sweet this morning. We want to just continue our series on 
we are worshippers. Um, really felt throughout the summer, new people are away, and it's quite difficult in some ways to build momentum. But um, is there a flicker there, Ryan? Is it? Um, anyway, I don't know. Um, I know it's d- difficult to build momentum, but we really felt like you know there, there, there was momentum, and there still is momentum in the spirit, what the Lord's doing and has been doing over the last um, number of weeks and months uh, across our churches. And um, and we just, so we just felt that there were some things, and worship is one of the ways that we press into the Lord and we see the Lord, thanks for continue to do stuff. And, uh, and so uh, we thought this, this series would allow us some opportunity to do that. Um, we're continue, so, so Bruno and Chris have laid a great foundation on some of the fundamentals, if you like, about why we worship and how we worship and how we respond to God's faithfulness. Those are both great talks. You should listen to them if you want to catch up. And I just want to reiterate some of what they've been saying and then um, just uh, press us in a little, bit, a little bit further. I suppose where we started over the last couple of weeks was trying to get a sense of why, why do we worship? I, I'm kind of one of those people that like to start at the basics, that like me to like understand why, why we do certain things. And, uh, and uh, why, why do we worship? And it was quite funny, a couple of days ago, Annie and I were in the car going somewhere together, and she said to me, Daddy, I don't want this to sound bad, but um, sometimes I think maybe God's a wee bit greedy. I was like, okay, uh, talk to me a little bit more. She goes like, well, just, you know, you know, if all of these people are kind of gathering to tell God he's great all the time, you know, that sort of maybe sounds a wee bit greedy to me. Good question, yeah? The question I asked when I was like 27, not 7, to be fair. But um, sometimes I have asked myself that question. Why do we worship? Does God need us to come here every Sunday and tell him he's great? Is God insecure? Does um, does God does God have sort of insecurity, kind of wounded ego issues that he needs stroked every Sunday, and that's why we come and sing these songs? Why do we worship? Why do we proclaim? Why do we lift our hands? Why do we do all of those things? And you suppose that Bruna particularly was touching on this in the first week, and the reality is that in the Bible what we see is a God who doesn't need our worship but a God who loves our worship and we worship because we were created in the image of God who is the source of all beauty love and holiness he's the source of all goodness and he creates us in his image and the God of holiness and of love who is a community of love within himself but it's pure and holy love so it's selfless and it's always overflowing and and so because of that he creates us in his image as a, and so him being the source of all goodness, we can only be completed and fulfilled when we are in love relationship with him. We can only worship them becomes the overflow of our completedness in him. Worship becomes the overflow of our fulfillment in God as the source of all beauty and as the very, uh, the very center of our hearts and lives. And so first and foremost, worship is like, Worship is this is deep stuff this morning, okay? Well, maybe is this working, man? Right? Worship first and foremost is whoa. God, you have loved me, forgiven me, saved me, fulfilled me. There is no one like you. Only you can fill my deepest longing. Only you can touch my heart in a way that you, only you can complete me. Whoa. Can you, not, can you imagine it, having that encounter and not being able to go, whoa. 
C.S. Lewis has always really helped me in this. He says, he says this. This is a bit long, but stay with me. I'll stop during it. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. That means it's, it's its fulfillment of joy. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So imagine for all you married folks, you know, when your spouse comes down with their look in the part and all of those goosebumps come along you and on the back of your neck and all of that, you know. And I know that was just last night for many of you, yeah. And, um, and, uh, and imagine feeling that surge of love and not being able to go, I love you, you're amazing. You look beautiful. Imagine not being able to do that. A little bit more like tedious. Imagine having like a cup of coffee, like a really good cup of coffee with your friend and then getting like a chocolate digestive biscuit, right? And dipping the chocolate digestive biscuit into the coffee and then putting it into your mouth. Imagine not being able to say to the person that you're sharing it with, that is amazing. Oh, imagine not being able to do it. Imagine sitting on a mountain top, looking out at a vista of beauty and not being able to go to the person beside you. This is amazing. Imagine not being able to do that. Imagine lying out with one of your mates and looking up at the stars at night and just reflecting on how, how amazing that sight is and not being able to go, whoa. C.S. Lewis says, <clears throat> it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And so if you've never really encountered the love of God in a way that has truly fulfilled you, you will get bored of worship. You will think it's just about singing a few songs, telling God he's great. But when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you can't not, oh, wow. And so for me these days, worship is mostly, oh, <laughs> you're amazing, God. You're awesome. You're more beautiful and you're the first of them all. <laughs> You're more beautiful than anything I've ever seen. You're the source of all beauty. You're, you're gooder, if that's a word, than anything that I've ever... You're the source of all goodness. See, when you have that encounter, then worship just becomes a natural overflow. You can't not overflow with, God, you're great. You're amazing. I'll, I'll read on, because the rest of it's good. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good it is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon a mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. Or to hear a good joke. <laughs> to hear a good joke and tell you have no one to share it with. Who, who, who's that person that they hear a good joke at the dinner party and they just like can't wait to the next dinner party so that they can throw it out and make it sound like it's theirs? Yeah. You, you just want, you want, to share, you want to share that, don't you? The Scots Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. 
Worship is the natural expression of being completed in God. And so <clears throat> that's how we were created. That's what Eden was all about. Just man and God overflowing that kind of love. But the fall kind of totally messed that up. We would rather be God than be like God. Being like God wasn't enough for us. We wanted to be God. If you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. And that completely broke us in so many ways. And so we're very broken. And we've heard that already this morning. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, we are broken people. And so when we worship, we come into a place where we're led not in a way of condemnation, but in kindness, we realize that we are not God and we are not what we were created to be. And so worship isn't just um, woe. Worship is a sense of we're sorry. There's a degree of confession. And as I say, God doesn't condemn us because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But as we get a picture of his beauty, we realize all the stuff on us that's not. And so we kind of say it, we're sorry. But very quickly, if we're genuine about that, um, we move from a place of God saying worship. We move from a place of worship being sorry to worship being healing. It's on the, it's on the next slide. Worship is healing. We, we are healed and restored. And so what I'm trying to say is God doesn't need our worship. We need worship. Because in our worship, we genuinely get our hearts and our minds and the eyes of our heart on the Lord. We realize that we are not God and he is. And we start to be healed into his likeness. And what he heals is our love. St. Augustine said that this little phrase and the definition of sin that's quite interesting. Sin is love turned in on itself. It's where the things of our, the desires of our heart, we actually turn in and try and self-satisfy ourselves rather than allowing God to satisfy us. And so rightly ordering our loves or the affections of our hearts is where we get healed. And at the core of who we are, we are, we are lovers. You're not brains on a stick, right? Because most of us will agree, hopefully, with most of what I say today. But that doesn't mean by Tuesday that anything's necessarily going to change. Because you might agree with it in your brain, but how you're influenced in your life is more by your behaviors and the things that you love. And so in worship, what happens is the disordered loves, the disordered affections of our heart get reordered in love for Jesus. And when we do that, then we can love everything rightly. A wee bit more C.S. Lewis this morning. He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen. Not, be not only because I see it, the sun, but because of it, I see everything else. That makes sense? See, when you see Jesus and the loves of your heart that you've been channeled, have been channeled in different directions, when they get reordered in love for Jesus, then you see everything else in its right context. Not as an idol to compete with God, but as a reflection of his image. And, uh, and that's why worship is so important. And, and then finally, just in this little bit, worship is, is yes. Because when we come into this place where God, it's, it's saying yes to God. When we come into this place where we, where, where we are like, whoa, we're in your presence, God, and you've fulfilled and made me whole and complete. And we realize we're not, and we say sorry, and we confess our sins. And he comes in his kindness and his grace, and he heals and he restores, and he reorders our love. Then we say yes. Whatever you want to do, God, I want to do. I want my heart now to partner right up with your heart the way it was always intended to, to be one with your heart. And so the things that are grieving you, the things that are bringing you joy, those are the things I want my heart to feel. And I want to, in prayer, declare, declare the things that are on your heart. Intercede. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is interceding this morning. What is he interceding about? 
That's why we need worship. I think it's Bill Johnson that says, worship rightly positions us for effective prayer. Worship rightly positions us for effective prayer. So when you're praying for people, come into the presence of the Lord, exalt Jesus. Lift up his name. Get your eyes on him. Allow your heart to become one with his. And then pray effectively in the spirit uh, to proclaim his works. And, and saying yes, what we're doing is we're not only having our loves reordered, we're having our authority reordered. The Psalm 8 tells us that we are crowned with glory and honor and given dominion or authority to rule. But if we don't get that right, authority becomes an awful thing in this world. It becomes destructive and dangerous and authority becomes authoritarian. Dominion becomes domination. But when we worship and we say sorry and we submit our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's essentially what we're doing in worship, submitting our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus. Then our loves, the affections of our heart are reordered and so is our authority. And then we can be really effective because we can declare some stuff in the Spirit. We're worshiping Jesus. And this is why, this is why worship then becomes a weapon. This is where we realize that we're actually called to follow a Jesus that never needed to use violence to get his way. This is where we realize that Jesus would rather forgive his enemies and kill them. This is where we start to realize that the Jesus we follow could call stuff forward and declare stuff in the spirit and know he was part of a bigger thing in order to get the job done. And in worship we realize that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we speak to the powers. We speak to the powers. We declare Jesus is Lord. We speak that right up into the heavenly realms. And we declare Jesus is Lord. And this is why worship is so important. This is why the primary thing in the next verse, when it says in Exodus chapter 8, right, right back in the Old Testament, when God's when the, the God story was hanging by a thread, it looked like Abram's descendants were in exile in Egypt as slaves there was no real understanding of how is this story going to continue and God calls a man called Moses and he says go to Pharaoh and say to him this is what the Lord says let my people go so that they may worship me why was worship so important let them go so they would worship is that like a God that's saying here it's been a while since anybody told me I'm great I'd really love these guys to get free because I need them to come into a wilderness and tell me how wonderful I am because I miss that no, no, not at all. This is a God who's saying, in worship, they're going to see me, the one who made them, the source of all beauty. Their whole destiny and freedom depends on a vision and a glimpse of who they were originally called and created to emulate as image bearers of God. So God knew that worship was essential for freedom. Right? You with me this morning? Yeah? Worship was essential for freedom. Genuine worship. And so um, the order of what I've tried to kind of do quite playfully there with woe or wow or sorry, um, healing and saying yes to Jesus, I think it's biblical. And um, I don't want to get prescriptive about the way we come to God because Jesus has broke the veil so we can fully enter in. But I think the Bible does reorder some stuff, order some stuff, sorry. In Psalm 100, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This is it. Enter his gates. This would have been the tabernacle that we're going to. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. 
So the people of the Old Testament, the vision, the picture would be walking into the tabernacle of the temple courts with praise and thanksgiving, declaring God's acts and, and praise. And then they would have moved further into that in order to really worship the Lord. Now, as I said, because of Jesus, the veil has been round. We can access his presence at any point. But I think the order here is important. Because I think God knows us better than we know ourselves. Because our, it's, it's hard to worship when your eyes aren't in Jesus. And there's a danger in the modern day worship scene that even worship becomes self-indulgent. If you haven't got your eyes lifted out of looking into your own soul and onto the source of all beauty, goodness, and healing. And so um, I like what Annie Lamott says. She says this, I live for Sundays. It's like going to the spiritual gas station to fill up on fuel and clean the dirty windshield and mirrors. I usually show up nuts, self-obsessed, vaguely agitated. And at once I'm reminded not of who I am, but whose I am. Anybody feel like that this morning come to church? Let's keep this thing real, all right? Anybody come to church feeling like, I know some of you have um, read Leviticus this morning and, you know, uh, came in with a holy aura about you. But, you know, most of us turn up to church pretty, feeling pretty nuts, definitely usually self-obsessed and often vague, vague, vaguely agitated. And what do we need? And so when somebody goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, that's like the first song and we're just like right in there you know we're working hard for that first song just to get our eyes off Jesus aren't we so this is why the worship team this morning did a brilliant job of let's come in and bless the Lord oh my soul yeah bless the Lord oh my soul let's come into his gates with thanksgiving let's declare the stuff that we need to in faith declare Let's declare and bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let's lift my head as, as important as our circumstances is. And as much as God doesn't invalidate anything that's going on in our lives. God, we want to get our eyes on you. We come with praise. We come with thanksgiving. And, and then as we do that and we come to encounter your presence, we want to worship and bow down. And so as a church here, we really want to model this. We want to come with praise. We want to come with a shout of praise. We want to come with thanksgiving. Somebody once said it like this. Thanksgiving is a response to his works. Right? We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you for the great things that you have done. How with an outstretched arm you brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus. We believe in faith that you've done these things. And we don't feel like it today, God. But we're going to bring a sacrifice of praise. Because we don't feel like it, we're going to do it. Praise is a response to his nature. You're a good God. And as we do that, Jesus comes and builds a throne amongst us and we become aware of his presence. And when we become aware of his presence, the only response to that is to bow down. Because every time we come together to worship, there should be breakthrough. There's no reason why there shouldn't. And every time we come to worship, God, I believe, wants to reveal another aspect or facet of his character and nature. Because he's boundless. And so we should be coming to church and as we worship and as we think about worship, we come to church going, God, what part of you do you want to reveal to us today? And when he reveals it, we worship. We say yes. I think it was Bill Johnson that said, that's why you never hear of a sacrifice of worship. You only ever hear of a sacrifice of praise. Because by the time it comes to worship, we become the sacrifice. We've just laid down our lives. And that is what the old preachers used to call, and is biblical, the manifest presence of the Lord. 
And that's what we're hungry for. The manifest presence of the Lord. You say, what does that mean? Well, do you believe God is everywhere? Yeah. Yeah, he's everywhere. Well, why then, if he's everywhere, why not every moment of every day are we like on our faces? <laughs> because we're just not aware sometimes that he's everywhere. But when hearts come together and go, surely God was in this place. Yeah, something in our hearts responds to God. And so I could say more about that, but I just want us to kind of log that little thought in our head. We come with praise, we come with thanksgiving. But often what happens is we go to church and we do those bits. And then we stop. <laughs> and then we go home. And in any move of God and in any inbreaking of the kingdom, that kind of time-bound thing sort of goes out the window. Because what we do is we respond to the presence of God. He comes and declares his name upon us. He comes and declares and reveals part of his glory to us. And we discern what that is and then we respond to it and worship. And God does something, but it's a bit like sometimes we went to the party, but we never really spoke to the host. Sometimes we went to the party and we did all the chat around the edges, but then when it really got to kind of like the, the deep conversation with the host, we miss that. And as a church and as a leadership, I suppose what we feel and where we feel the Lord's leading us is into more times of deep encounter with the Lord so that we can be imprinted, changed and transformed by his nature so that we can overflow with that into the world around us. And so... Uh, for the last few moments, part of our response to that is not just with song and hearts, but with our, our whole bodies. And over the next number of weeks, we want to introduce some Bible words. Right? These are actual Bible words about worship. And they're words about the posture, not just of our heart, which is where it starts, but posture, the posture of our bodies. Worship is not just a wholehearted thing, but a whole-bodied response to God. The Bible is much more comfortable with the reality that our hearts and our bodies and our minds are much more interconnected than what we often think of in the 21st century. Even in the church, we've, we talk about body, soul, and spirit, and that's important because that's in the Bible, but we compartmentalize them all, and they're far more interconnected. For those of you who have suffered grief, you know what you feel in your body, the pain that you feel in your body, even though your soul's been broken. We understand it in the negative if that's the way to put it, or in difficult situations, or stress or anxiety, how it affects the body. But in the same kind of principle with worship, our hearts and our bodies are supposed to be connected, and so our worship should be whole-bodied in response. And the thing about it is we get this in human life, so I'm going to introduce you just as we finish here to the word that means to lift up your hands. And you, you would understand that in human life. We come to church and we think this is just a charismatic, crazy, cuckoo kind of thing they do. They raise their hands to music. What's that all about? But if a little child raises its hands to its father or mother, none of us are going, well, that's a bit weird. If, uh, if somebody kind of like threatens to shoot somebody and they put their hands up as a sense of surrender, none of, none of us would go, well, that's a bit weird. Because... None of, us, none of us think it's weird. In fact, loads of us get involved when we're at our favorite concert or our favorite sporting event and something happens that sets us off. And like, oh, none of us think that's weird. 
So why, when we come before the God of all love, the God of all power, a heavenly Father that's better than anything that we could ever imagine, why would it be weird? Why should it be weird that our first thing that we do when we look up into his heart and see his goodness is, Here's my whole heart. And the Hebrew writers and the ancients of old got this maybe much more than we did. And, um, and so the Bible talks about the raising of hands, the bowing of the knee, the lying prostrate. It talks about all of these. And we're going to teach you through, the, through them. These are, and talks more about posture of the body than it does about music style in the Bible. Inward postures of the heart that are humble before God results in an outward expression. A couple of things just to finish. Worship is sacramental in nature. That means it's making the material sacred, right? An outward and visible expression of an inward and spiritual revelation. God reveals his goodness to us. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving and we raise our hands externally. God reveals his majesty to us. Our hearts are filled with awe and wonder and we bow in adoration. God reveals his might to us and our hearts are filled with humility and we fall prostrate before the altar. This is the wholehearted response to God in worship. Alan Crider, who is a great um, uh, researcher and theologian of the early church, he says this about the early church. Their worship was from their body. Love that. Their encounter of God in worship involved bodily gestures and rites that became habitual repetitive and reflexive ways of being. It's almost like it just became natural. It's almost like for the early church and for the Old Testament, it just became natural to go, and even as they did that week after week, it it actually had the effect of spiritual formation. And so the Bible is full of these different reflexive words. And let me leave you with this as we finish here in the next five minutes. This word in the Hebrew, yada, It literally means to extend a hand, to use or throw up a hand, to revere or to worship with extended hands, praise and thanksgiving. And here's some, it's all over. I think I have it here. It occurs 114 times in the Old Testament. A hundred of those are translated to mean praise or thanksgiving. And so when it says here in 2 Chronicles, give thanks, Yada is the Hebrew word, which is this word that also means to extend the hands for his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, that men would praise Yada, lift up their hands, the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Here's my favorite, Psalm 63, an amazing psalm. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you, and I will praise, I will yada, I will lift up my hands as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. (laughs) David wants to lift up in his hands in worship because it's just a natural response of heartfelt love and devotion. And if you think it's just an Old Testament thing, it's not New Testament, 1 Timothy. Therefore, I want, we challenge to the men here, Right? I want men lead the way. I'm not telling anybody to do anything that they don't feel comfortable doing. Lead the way. Lead the way. Lift up your hands to the Lord. 
Think about leading your family. And I want to show my abandonment and my love for Jesus in this way. You talk to the Lord about that in your own way, about the right discern and discern up for yourself. Because God understands our personalities and the way we are. Some of us are more reserved than others, and I get all that. The last thing I want us to do is if I'm forcing anything on anyone. But I am gently trying. I think the Lord wants to gently challenge us to increase our understanding of freedom and worship. I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. That's not partner with fear. It's not partner with inhibition. It's partner with the freedom that comes in knowing Jesus. And um, it continued on through the early church. This is what Oregon, one of the church fathers, said. It's quite funny. It's about middle of the second century, maybe. Well, there are many ways of bodily deportment and prayer. There can be no doubt that the position of extending one hands and elevating the eyes is to be preferred above all others. For the position taken by the body is thus symbolic of qualities proper to the soul and acts of praying. This we should say, except under particular circumstances, the normal position should be the normal position taken. Circumstance can permit us to pray with propriety while sitting, for example, because of some serious foot ailment. So you've got to store foot, he's going to let you off, right? But Oregon, one of the church fathers, and I know physically some of us can't do this, and we want to obviously really appreciate that and acknowledge that. But he's, he's saying there's something about that, that posture of eyes lifted to heaven, hands raised in worship. God, I love you with my whole life. It doesn't make you a better Christian. It doesn't mean God loves you anymore. It's important to say that. But the freedom that we can experience in that, most of us remember, most of us remember the first time we raised our hands. For most of us, it was a bit like this. Pretended that we were like, I remember about 15, like pretending my hand was in, like it was in one of my sister's shoulders or something, and it was kind of, you know. Because I understand the nervousness of it. But most of us can remember the first time we just went, God, you're good. And I'm going to try and not think about what anybody else would think about me for these moments. And I'm going to try and just worship you, Jesus, an audience of one. I'm just going to lift up my hands to you. Because this is where my heart is, God. And the most natural thing is to show me this, to show you this in the response of my body. And so I, I want us to finish there. I just, I'd love us to sing one song. I asked Sue to sing one of my favorite kind of old songs. Some of you will know it. I lift my hands to the coming king, to the great I am. To you I sing, for, for you're the one who reigns within my heart. And, and, and as, as we sing this, we're going to lift our tithes and offerings because we... Uh, we forgot to do that earlier, so um, please just give on to the Lord as we...